0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television. Bass Edge TV is now on Wild TV in Canada and will be back on the Versus Network in January through June. This is Outdoors Dan and my co-host Aaron Martin's right here. Aaron, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Dan. We've got a uh, great show tonight. We're going to be talking with Sean Hernke, who is the host of Field & Stream's Total Outdoor Competition. Now, what does all that entail?
1: You know, that is a, it's, it's a very unique competition. It's uh, really in its second year, but it's a competition that where they have, I think there's three or four regional competitions that takes place across the U.S., and you've got to be able to uh, shoot your bow, uh, demonstrate, you know, obviously skill in that arena. I think there's a air rifle competition, uh, fly fishing, and I think there's one other one. But uh, it's just really a, a neat deal, and the, the national championship is actually going to be held
0: at uh, Bass Pro Shops headquarters uh, just here in, here in about a month. Oh, that's exciting. And then we're also going to be talking with Troy Heckman from the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association. And this really is a neat, a really neat thing. Uh, why don't you tell them, Aaron, what exactly does that entail as well? Well, it, it is. It's, it's extremely neat from the standpoint that, um, you know, it's an organization that's
1: collegiate-based. And really what they're trying to do is take uh, bass fishing to a collegiate level or a varsity sport. Uh, they have competitions um, really present right now in the in the Pac-10. Um, I think there's 70-some schools that's involved in it, and their national championship heads to Louisville Lake uh, a little bit later. But you know, had they
0: had this when I was in college,
1: Dan, uh, probably wouldn't have graduated.
0: There you go. Well, and what a great way to go through school and get your foot in the door with a major trail. You no know? question. That's, that's pretty neat. Hey, and guys, and don't forget, we'll also answer the listener email question and give away some great prizes to this week's lucky winner. It's all right here. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Uh Uh-oh, look here, I got one, I got one. Look
1: here. (laughs) I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of
2: times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait.
1: Oh, good fish,
0: good fish. Did you see him come
2: off that log?
0: Oh, look at that song, man, that's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active fishing it is not easy oh man that's a toad this is unbelievable all right welcome back to the edge outdoors dan here he's aaron martin aaron you know what it's summer it's the heat of the year so what in the world have you been doing out filming the season two you know we have uh, we've actually been quite busy uh, with the this from the standpoint
1: of we went to kentucky we went to lake erie uh we've been out on the potomac um and now we're, we'll take a little bit of a break, about four weeks, kind of let the let the month of August here pass us, and then uh, we'll be quite busy really from about September all the way through uh, through till about Thanksgiving, and then uh, of course in between there we have uh, have a tournament down yet on Amistad that I'm looking forward to, so can't
0: wait to go down there. No, well, that sounds exciting. I just talked to Shaw Grigsby yesterday. He called, and said that he just missed the cut in whatever tournament he's fishing at, and I tell you what, there's a lot of big names that are struggling this year.
1: You know, it it is, but the thing about, you know, when you get to the elite level, such as on BASS or the FLW Tour, you know, the the average angler is, is so much more educated now and there's the talent pool is just so good. And when, when you're trying to make, you know, out of 100 guys and you know that, you know, any one of them can step up and uh, win the tournament, I mean, it's, it's sometimes always that, that cut doesn't doesn't speak enough, um, you know, as far as <laughs> what's actually taking place within the tournament. I, I can tell you that from experience.
0: Well, it's definitely not a barometer for effort, is it? No, no, it's certainly, not, certainly no. not. Hey, you know, I know you guys are on Wild TV right now, but you guys will be back on the Versus channel in January, and that's going to run all the way through June, right? That's right, that's right. So there you go, that's exciting. I had a caller call me on Cambox the other night, and they wanted to know what was the best way to keep fish alive in a live well, and alive on. I said, you know what, I'm going to be talking with Aaron, let me ask him. So, what would you suggest?
1: Well, there's actually a couple things to do. One is um, obviously the monitoring, making sure that you always have fresh water running in your live well. You know, this is there's a lot of states actually that has a what's called a no cull rule, um, and that's really why you see a lot of tournaments uh, that will not take place in those states because that means is once you put that fifth fish in the boat, you can't throw them back because they're worried about mortality. Uh-huh. Uh, which we're not going to get into that, but. You know, the the best way is to obviously keep those circulation pumps running nonstop. Um, the other thing that I like, and, you know, this is the first year that I've had this, but, you know, my, my new Legend boat that I'm running actually has a temperature gauge to monitor the temperature or the internal temperature of, of the live well. And that's really nice because then you can look and compare that on the water temperature, the surface temperature, which displays um, on my graph that's right next to it. If I see that starting to spike up, then obviously that's a great time, you know, to to add some ice and try and uh, keep keep them cool and uh, at a comfortable level. Another way is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer of using year-round chemical additive. Uh, Please release me is actually what it's called. It's made by Sure Life Laboratories, and what that does is actually that helps uh, calm the fish down, relaxes them because whenever you catch a fish, uh, it releases a hormone or a stress hormone, which is the fight or flight hormone, um, and, and it really stresses those out. And especially if you're deep fishing, you know, you got to make sure that um, you probably heard of the terminology, fizzing and that type of stuff. Uh-huh. You know, you really, we, we, we owe it to the natural resource to make sure that this sport continues to, to be able to take care of those fish. So there's really a couple different steps to go through.
0: Well, that sounds exciting. You know, like I said, summer, we're in the middle of the heat of summer. You can't believe August is right around the door already. And, you know, summer trends are changing dramatically What's some of the things you're seeing? I know you're out on the lake pre-fishing. What, uh, what are you seeing out there?
1: You know, I, I think for, uh, for the grass lakes, I mean, obviously, you know, that, that's the key is, is going to be uh, any time where you can find, you know, some, some edges, some grass edges adjacent to deep water. A lot of times those fish will stage right along the edges. If you have a matted situation where the grass comes up to the surface and forms a mat, uh, you can often punch those mats uh, any time that you have current. Um, you know, that's another big thing right now. Uh, A lot of these lakes have river systems in them, or if they're generating, you know, for instance, down south in Texas, I mean, they've just received a tremendous amount of rain. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those lakes are generating, you know, points are obviously the thing that you want to key in on there or any current breaks where that bass can stage on and, uh, you know, be able to ambush. So there's just a a tremendous amount of opportunity. And certainly topwater, you know, topwater is always a key, Uh, the frog. Uh, throwing either that uh, uh, kind of a soft plastic uh, rivet, Zoom makes one, Stanley makes that rivet, which I like, um, Spro, that Dean Rojas Spro Frog, uh, which is more the rubber, throwing that across that, that vegetation. I mean, that's just it's phenomenal.
0: Now, do you change your blaze orange shirt to a lighter color shirt this time of year, or are you still out there with blaze orange in it? Well,
1: you know, I, I do not, uh, during the day and even on a tournament, normally I don't wear that uh, that shirt while I'm fishing, Um what I try and do, and that's a great question because sun is, is I mean, it's just brutal right yeah. now. And just like we were talking about taking care of the fish, you also have to take care of yourself. And if you can imagine, you know, being in that heat, that's the same thing that your fish is, is being exposed to, uh, being smashed or sloshed around in your live well. You know, and, and it's funny you brought this up because I was just talking uh, about switching to completely a, a white long sleeve shirt that's vented, uh, going to a big hat, and probably actually going to start wearing some longer pants because, you know, I've just... Uh, I take sun really well because of my complexion. However, uh, what I have noticed here in the last uh, last couple of trips, you know, my hands, the tops of my feet from wearing sandals, that type of stuff, is really starting to blister. And you know, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going
0: to be around to be able to, to do this very long. No, well, you got to take care of yourself and your gear. That's very yeah, important. Sunscreen is another key. Well, folks, I tell you what we need to do. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to have an exciting interview with Sean Hornkey from the Field and Streams Total Outdoor Competition and some other great stuff right here on The Edge. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's Go-To Tackle System keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling
2: 1-88-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com.
1: All right, my next guest is a gentleman who is a phenomenal angler, well-rounded, also has some other news to share with us. But that is Sean Hernke, FLW competitor, former BASS competitor. Sean, thanks so much for being here. Uh, Thank you, Aaron. It's good to be on the edge. (laughs) uh, You know, one of the things that I always find fascinating is how we get into this sport.
2: You know, and your, your history is a little bit different because you started very, very early from the competitive side. Yeah, exactly. You know, as, you know, I, I grew up racing motorcycles from about the age of five and, and really competitive. And I grew up in a very competitive atmosphere. And then I started getting into fishing through my mid-teens. And uh, then, of uh, course, the next, you know, just kind of morphed into the first thing I wanted to do when I started fishing was to compete. You know, the first time I caught a bass, I thought, well, I wonder how good I am against the other guys. So... You know, and at about the age of 16, I decided, hey, you know, uh, do I want to get in a career where I'm going to be retired and broken up by the time I'm 28 years old, or do I want to uh, try to do something that I can have a long-lasting career at? And so, at about the age of 16, I just went with it and and went into, uh, you know, decided wholeheartedly that this is what I wanted to do. I never grew up knowing that hey, I wanted to be a doctor or I wanted to do this or that. Everybody else had those ambitions. Mine was just I wanted to be a pro angler. So. Everything was kind of just uh, morphed right into being a professional fisherman. You know, I went to college, got a degree in marketing, and spent countless times on days on the water, and and fished as many tournaments as I could, and. So, um, you know, and lo and behold, you know, when I got out of college, I, I you know, fished the Bassmaster Tour and, uh, you know, been fortunate enough to make a living at this for six years now.
1: Well, and you had a neat story that you had shared with me concerning one of the summers to where I think you were cleaning pools or?
2: Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I used to be the old pool boy there in Dallas, Texas. And, uh, you know, that that was not much fun. And when I was in college, I started to realize, you know, hey, I'm out here killing myself for 300 bucks a uh, week. And uh, it was like, you know i can go out here and in texas you have so many good tournaments and to compete from and um and to choose from that we went ahead and i i go uh you know i can make more money fishing on the weekends than i can doing this pool stuff so i quit quit cleaning pools and kind of went full time at about the age of 20 and uh, and you know just started fishing tournament after tournament every weekend all over Texas and that really helped you know set the stage for when I got out of school and I was and, gonna say you were going to college at what Texas A and M yeah I went time, to Texas A and M and yeah and and actually I started out in Nacogdoches at a, at a college called Stephen F Austin but I ended up because I wanted to guide and on Rayburn and Toledo but I was like man I I uh, ended up going fishing more than I. Uh, was going to school, so I had to move, and I went to A&M and got a little more serious about my studies and uh, and ended up, uh, you know, just fishing a more, you know, scheduled my classes Tuesday, Thursday, went to schools, I went to, uh, went to, you know, fish Friday, Saturday, Sunday, studied on Monday, and, and did that every single week, and that really helped set the stage for when I got out of college. Well, I'm sure probably prepared you for the the schedule that was yet to come, because right now I know that you were sharing with me. That uh, I think you've been home nine days out of you know the first six months of the year, and yeah, it's uh, you know that's one thing that I, I don't think a lot of people really take into consideration when they want to choose to have this career is you know it's it's a lifestyle, it's not just a job where you you punch in nine to five. It's a it's a deal where you know you're gone and you live on the road from hotel to hotel, and and uh, I mean I personally love it. That's what I, I've always wanted to do, but. Sometimes it's not for a lot of people they get out here and they realize man this life on the road really changes you and it's hard to deal with you know family life and, and it's just a total adjustment. Well and now you're involved in the Field and Streams Total Outdoorsman's Challenge. Yeah, that's a really exciting thing that uh you know I invite everyone to come out and participate again uh, every year. It's an exciting new new concept in in the outdoors. It's uh basically you know we have fishing tournaments but there's archery tournaments, there's skeet and trap events, but no you know nowhere is there an event where it Kind of pits the guy we 're looking for field and stream's looking for the guy who is the total outdoorsman, as it says, and what that basically is there's there's seven disciplines um in the outdoors, including bait casting, fly casting, archery uh, shooting sports, and um the best guy from that event overall it becomes field and stream's total outdoorsman, and we had the regional qualifiers this spring we 've got a great field set and coming up in august is going to be the final uh the finals in springfield you're kind of where you're from and um we're going to have the finals there in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, we're going to figure out who's 2007 Field & Stream's Total Outdoorsman of the year. Can listeners just go to uh, Field & Stream's website yeah. to find out more? Exactly. About if you go to them. fieldandstream.com, and there's uh, on the front homepage there's a little logo that says the Total Outdoorsman, and you can go there and, and check everything out. And I encourage everyone next spring there will be new rounds of uh, regional qualifiers all over the country that uh, anyone can come. It's free, no entry fee, to come out and test your skills at most of the Bass Pro Shops. And uh, that will be around your hometown. And you can see it. And the, and the winner goes on to the finals. And I think it, this year, I think it's a $30,000 payout wow. at the national finals. So it's really growing. Um, it's actually going to be, uh, I'm hosting the TV show this year. It'll actually be Um, on air, the finals and all the regionals uh, in September and October on the Versus Network. So it's going to be, I look forward to uh, seeing how all that turns out in in August. And it's really exciting to watch. It's really neat competition. Oh, that sounds
1: like a lot of fun. It really
2: is. It really is. Well, you know, transitioning now
1: into um, technique and uh, specific to bass fishing, you know, you travel all over the country, you fish a tremendous amount of tournaments, but what what would you say is one of the techniques that is, is kind of your go-to technique?
2: Well, for me, you know, I, I grew up, um, you know, the fishing has changed a lot in the last few years. But for me, I grew, I grew up really um, tr- as, a, as a flipper and a shallow cranker. You know, that's kind of how I've made my living the past six years. And, and shallow cranking something that I just really am so appealed to you know it's it's a it's an art i feel like there's so many different baits so many different varieties and and you know i mean i have boxes and boxes of crankbaits i mean there's not just one bait that gets the job done every day and and there's really an art you know does it have a wide wobble does it have a you know real real tight wiggle is you know different times of the year you know and that's what really appeals to me about shallow cranking is that a you know do you consider that a technique do you take that anywhere in the country yeah, I mean, pretty much it works pretty much everywhere in the country. I mean, um, you know, you get down into into Louisiana and Texas, where I'm from. You get into the late late summer periods, like August and, and September, and those fish tend to, you know, there's always some resident fish, and they tend to migrate in the backs of these creeks. And when I mean creeks, I'm talking about where not just the back end of a creek, but actually where it necks down into the old like original creek, where it's just bank to bank, wall to wall, and you can kind of get over those sandbars and get back there and um you know i try to look for a creek in the back ends that have a minimum of eight feet deep because that usually holds some better quality fish um you know lakes like texoma and texas are notorious for that that time of year and i try to go back there and, and use a variety of baits and mainly my main arsenal that time of year is shallow cranking and that's uh Something that, it, you know, I, I kind of choose a few different things. You know, some type of old Bagley bait is really my favorite. A, a Killer B2 is one of my, you know, really go-to baits in that scenario. Just a, some type of Tennessee Shad or short Blackback Black Back is what I, what I use a lot there. And real heavy line, you know, a lot of times you always hear cranking's a light line deal, but I like to really get, get into it. And, and you know, I, I'm throwing 17, 20-pound line back there on a stiffer rod. Um, you know we actually designed a rod with setter that's a it 's a medium heavy action square bill type rod that uh, you know i that I used back there in those little creeks and it 's a short little pistol grip six six rod or not necessarily a pistol grip but a short end butt butt section rod that I can kind of roll cast up on these lay downs and logs and and really shallow crank and look you know try to find these little key areas in those creeks and when you go into a creek mainly there's always certain little sections that are more productive you know generally it tends to be in the middle what i call the middle section you come into a creek and it's kind of relatively shallow and then it gets a little deeper and then you start getting to the back end where it just gets real shallow you can't even take a boat anymore and it seems to me most of the time it's the mid sections that seem to be most productive but somewhere in that section there's going to be a little key area where the fish tend to relate more be it on a bend or just a hundred yard stretch of straight area where the currents really flowing good back there and that's what I'm really looking for when I go into back to those creeks. So, in choosing a creek, regardless of geographic region, but let's just say, you know, how do you dissect that
1: that creek to, you know, to start making casts with on the shallow
2: cranking? I mean, is there certain keys that your areas that you're looking for within them that midsection? Yeah, probably so. I mean, what you're really looking for is something. You know, bass change every day, and that's what you have to kind of go back there and actually pattern them every single day some days they'll be more on the on the real steep banks in those creeks and on the bluffs and on the wood and and you know you have to you know you have to find those outside bends or or you know so be it but sometimes they're on the straights between the two bends and more on shallower sloping gradual banks and that's um uh, but mainly what you're targeting back there most of the time is wood and some type of lay down and that's where i think you know a lot of people you know, I think what separates a real good fisherman in those creeks and those shallow water guys from an, uh, an average guy would be the fact that you really, you know, I don't just go buy one of those laydowns and throw it at one time. You know, I like to go into it. If I see a laydown that looks right, if it has several feet of water on it and you set up and you go, this one looks real good. You know, I try to nail it from several different angles and just really work it over and, and from different angles and, and stimulate the fish. I mean, I'll make the same cast and parallel that log, you know, with the bait three inches from it four or five times and a lot of times in august september those fish are so hot and it's so you know they're so lethargic they don't want to bite so with that shallow cranking concept you're really trying to basically stimulate them in a bite you're just making them mad and that's what that's where i I feel like that's what i love to do because i think that's when you're ultimately really tricking the fish and that's that's the most exciting part of it is because that fish doesn't want to bite but you it's you versus him and you kind of just keep pounding on him and pounding on him and finally he reacts and so that's what's real surprising. I mean, sometimes you'll cast seven, eight, nine, ten times in there, and you're thinking and there's nothing under there. And all of a sudden, bam, on the tenth time you catch them, you know. So that's the most gratifying part of, of, of back to the creek in, in late late summer. Now, are these creeks normally, for instance, like that you're referring to, where you'll cast multiple times on the down? Do they have several laydowns, or is it are they isolated with some distance between them? Or right. Sometimes the you know the, the, naturally what you really like what I what in a perfect world you would like an isolated laydown. You know you might go down a hundred yards of bank or two hundred and there's nothing on it's just a clean just mud bank and kind all of a sudden, do nothing. By. Exactly, and all of a sudden boom there'll be one log, and you think ah oh, that doesn't look that exciting, but that's the stuff that a lot of people over you know overlook. And, you know, because everybody wants to, when they pull into a place or a creek, they're going to go, oh, look, you know, look at all this bank with 20, 30 laydowns. This is great. But, you know, sometimes it's the bank on the opposite bank that only has one that I'm, you know, that I'm looking for. Because that's the one, you know, that the, all the fish on that bank are congregated on because they have nowhere else to go. Whereas the other bank, you know, there's 30 logs and they can, you know, they're so scattered. Um, whereas on the, on, the, on the bank with one log, they have a tendency to group up more and multiple fish on that. So, therefore, then they become more competitive. And then that's what we're all looking for, because the fish that's fighting for some food is the one that's going to be uh, the easiest to catch. <laughs> right. So you're just looking for a high percentage area. Exactly. High percentage area is the key. So whenever you, let's say you, you cast multiple
1: times on the structure, do you ever change baits from the shallow cranking if you have that much confidence in that? Oh, yeah. You, you're just sticking with strict, strictly shallow cranking? Well, in other words, yes. Then, you know, let's say if you cast seven or eight times with your shallow crankbait, um will you put your crankbait down and flip oh exactly. uh, flip in on and yeah, work definitely. it that approach as yeah, well. I mean
2: I like to go in there and probably shallow crank first, but then I might get like a black neon tube or or something like that or a creature bait and actually flip it in there afterwards and, and sometimes believe it or not in the late summer even a spinnerbait's a real good a real good bait that's uh you know, most people don't really think that, you know, oh it's hot, spinnerbait's more of a springtime bait and sometimes in the backs of those creeks a spinnerbait can be real deadly because they're feeding on that bait that's migrating up and down those creeks in the late summer so but mainly I like to go in there and really you know if I if I had a way to catch them and that's the way I prefer and most of the time you know in that time of year the the shallow cranking pays off but um, I'm definitely going to have a few other baits to give them something different to look at, you know. So, and sometimes you might catch one or two extra fish a day on those particular baits. So, whenever you say shallow cranking, what what would be the the range? I guess. Well, I, I kind of call shallow cranking anything probably less than eight feet deep, you know, maybe nine. Um, and that that's kind of what I, you know, that's what I would say. And and the shallow cranking aspect of it is is I think you have so many more options and there's so much more intricacies too. I mean, the deep cranking you have. Um, you know you you have a lot of baits and there's a lot of different you know angles you can you know you're looking at angles and and setting up on structure but the shallow cranking aspect of it so much i i I like so much more because you're actually sitting there you're you're kind of playing hand-to-hand combat you're looking at this piece of cover or this you know this rock or whatever and you know there's a fish sitting there and it's and you're using that that crank bait to actually make them bite and i think that's the part that i really like about cranking is you know. You know there's a fish there, you ran a spinnerbait by it, you flipped your tube and the fish sat there and watched it go by. And now, you know, you're going to make them something to react. And that's what really I think that it really pays off in cranking is it's just making that fish that doesn't want to bite, bite. So in, in these creeks that you're focusing on, what's,
1: you know, the kind of the magic question is how long do you spend? You know, I get that question a lot. Yeah. Is
2: how long do you spend in an area exactly. before you move on? Right. Well, that's when I go into a creek. I don't know, you know, we travel all over and I spend, you know, being a younger guy on the tour, there's a lot of lakes I've never been to. So I have to go in there and really dissect an area real fast. And when I go to a new area, let's say if I'm at the Potomac and I've never fished these creeks and, um, you know, several weeks back, I actually caught a lot of my fish in the last FLW tour event in the back of a creek on the Potomac. And, um, you know, but I had to cover 10 or 15 creeks in on the Potomac till I found one that was holding the right quality fish. You know, you fish one, you fish another one, you might have some pound and a half fish and then went into the next creek and all of a sudden wham, you know, there was four pounders, three pounders, and they're good grade quality tournament fish. And so what I like to do is I kind of cover it real fast. That's the good part of shallow cranking. You can go through there and make a pass down those creeks. I mean, generally the backs of the creeks aren't very long. I mean, maybe a mile max, half mile, three quarters. And uh, so you can move and cover a lot of water hitting just real key target, obvious looking stuff. You can move through it real fast. Are you running parallel? Uh, bank, yeah, well, sometimes, is- but I mean, a lot of times, you know, parallel on the areas where you don't have those laydowns, but then you get to an area where you do have the laydowns, and then it's more of a perpendicular approach and really trying to parallel your bait through down those laydowns. That's what I find. A lot of people cut across the laydowns, and sometimes that works, but when you're trying to, but the bait seems to be a lot better if you parallel those laydowns. Get that, keep that bait against the log as long as you can. And that seems to be because you're catching a higher percentage area in front of those fish because you don't know if that fish is in two feet of water underneath that log or in six feet of water underneath that log. So you really want to make sure that you get
1: it as close to the shoreline
2: or, or the end of the yes, down, exactly. Or even and if it's maybe if it's off the shore a little bit, maybe you want to cast past it, right. past the end of it and bring, bring it all the way back exactly. to the boat. Exactly. Exactly. And that's and that's one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they just kind of cut across it, make two casts around the end of the tree and, and press on. But what I like to do is really line up on it. A lot of times I will only make a cast until I get to it. You know, I'll kind of stealthily get to the end of the log, back off, get the boat positioned correctly, and then fire one down the the length of the log and bring it down to the end and then work it out of the tops of the tree at the very top, you know, at the end of the tree, which is usually the deeper part of the tree where it's laying in the water. And that seems to really work a lot better, because a lot of times, you know, it's summer, those fish are buried underneath in the shade, and the best portion of the shade on that log is the actual base of the, you know, the this, this trunk of the tree. And so, you don't, and the trunk might be 10, 15 feet long, and you don't know exactly where they're at on that. So, paralleling that log is definitely key when you get in the backs of those creeks. Sean, mm-hmm. in closing, you know, what, for newer anglers that, that are getting into the sport to
1: establish shallow cranking or, just just get on the water what's some good advice that you can pass on maybe that you've learned through experience you know for people that's trying to maybe just get in from a
2: recreational standpoint not even competitively well it's so confusing when you go to the tackle stores nowadays i mean there's walls and walls of crankbaits you know but i kind of choose one you know i in the backs of creeks i kind of like wooden baits you know there's plastics you know i prefer plastic crankbaits in the grass because it has a higher buoyancy and a wood crankbait more on when I'm fishing wood. That's a good way to tell, you know, that I've always told people, you know, that it's a it's a rule of thumb, wood on wood and plastic on grass. And that's kind of my rule of thumb. So that kind of knocks down half Boy, of your choices. Does. And then keep your colors simple. I mean, don't get real crazy. I mean, if I'm in the back of the creek fishing, I throw basically two colors. I throw a Tennessee shad-based crankbait or a black and chartreuse crankbait. That's real simple. Right there, that knocks down another million crankbaits, you know, so... Now you're looking at a lot simpler approach, and I like just a, a regular square bill, you know, shallow running crankbait on some of that stuff. And then pick a crankbait that maybe runs, you know, five or six feet, you know, that has a kind of, but I like a wide wobble that displaces a lot of water in those creeks in the late summer. Because that, you know, the, the, generally those creeks are stained, and they're off-colored, and they have, you know, with that wide wobbling, the fish can really hone in on it a little lot better. Excellent. Well, that is all great stuff. Unfortunately, once again, we're out of
1: time. I look forward to uh, fishing with you upcoming on uh, Lake Erie. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a good. great trip. So, best of luck in the future. Hope we'll uh, you have a great season. Hey, I appreciate it, Aaron.
0: Take care, Sean Hernke. Thanks, Sean. All right. Welcome back to the Edge Outdoors. Dan here. He is Aaron Martin. Yeah, I got to tell you, he seems like a really good guy. Did you guys have a lot of fun on Lake Erie? Oh, we had a tremendous amount of fun, and he's just such a you know such a versatile angler.
1: You know, obviously he's. He started right out of college, originally from Dallas, started on the BASS trail, then switched over, you know, over to the FLW, and now he's obviously involved with uh, the production
0: side of it through Field and Stream, but um, he is, he's just a phenomenal guy. Now, for somebody who's not an addict like you are, I mean, I am for hunting, but not the fishing side, which is the bigger tournament? And I don't want to get you in trouble with anybody, but I'm a novice, so I don't know. Sure. Is Bass or FLW the bigger tournament?
1: Well, it's, there's, there's actually, there's two schools
0: of thought on that, and,
1: um, You know, Bass is obviously the one that's been around the longest, and traditionally, you know, if you polled a a group of anglers, um, there's two camps out there. You know, Bass has a completely different model than than FLW. BASS has always carried a tremendous amount of prestige. Um, The difference on the Elite Series, you know, you have to qualify into that, and it doesn't take jackpotters. So, for instance, if somebody wanted to fish the Elite Series, they can't just go sign up, you know, a few weeks prior to the event um you know and just fish that one event FLW on the, from the standpoint that you know the FLW tour the FLW series um they do have a qualification into that to where you're guaranteed entry but then if that does not that field does not fill up then what they do is they do open that up to um you know anglers uh from whatever level which is kind of neat but um it's again it's just a totally different business model erwin jacobs who owns flw uh, which also owns ranger boat stratus champion you know a lot of those things um they they require that you wear uh the sponsor um gear i guess if you will from flw sponsors bass on the other hand you know they allow you to uh wear your own sponsor material your wrap boat that type of stuff with the exception of the final day so again it's not that one is necessarily better than the other if you compute the payouts um all the way down, you know they're very, very close. But again, it's just totally different. ESPN owns Bass, um, whereas Erwin Jacobs owns F O oh,
0: W. See, I didn't know all that. Yeah. You know, and I got to tell you, I was—I had to laugh a little bit about almost running out of gas and having to check his tanks before you know, going out on the lake and almost being late. Uh, how stressful is that? Well,
1: it—you know—when when I left um, Sean uh, up there from when we actually filmed, you know, I mean, he was handsome. Of which. You know, our viewers will be able to see that. I mean, we were on some really good fish. And when I checked the results after, after to see how he did at the at the FLW tournament, of which Steve Clapper, whom we had here, uh, I guess, a couple weeks ago, on here ended up winning it. But when I saw that, you know, that he had blanked, I'm like, man, there's no way. He had to have a breakdown or something because there's just no way that I know that Sean would have done that. Well, long story short, after talking with him, what he did was he had – I mean, he had a very very good size limit but though the lake was so rough that day uh, from you know trying to traver- traverse the waves you burn a lot more gas because uh-huh. you're running you know your your motors under a lot more stress you're trying to get across the waves so he actually had to stop on the way back to get gas and what happened was there was a big line and i guess a barge and some other things that was uh, taking up the marina long story short he was able to get gas but he could not make it back in time so he had to completely release all of his fish uh, because he was beyond the um, you know the time limit of being able to weigh in and it, it completely erased his his day's catch anyway so it was kind of a bad break for him but you know as as he will gladly tell you uh that's what happens sometimes if you're going for the win you know and you're taking big risks and swinging for the fences
0: uh sometimes you hit a home run sometimes you strike out you know well it's just a matter of seconds isn't it? yeah <laughs> that's, that's just crazy well, I know that everyone out there listening will enjoy that interview. And I tell you what, I can't believe it, but we got to run and take another break real quick. Folks, we'll have more on the Edge when we come right back. You've got the truck.
2: You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the toe & Stole Receiver Hitch by B&W you want options
0: select the ball size adjust the height to level the trailer or stow it out of the way in just
2: seconds it's 10,000 toe and pounds worth of durability convenience and the latest technology that has made b&w famous the Tow and stow receiver hitch by b&w call 1-866-BEST-HITCH
0: welcome back to the edge the official podcast of bass edge Alright, welcome back to The Edge. and You know, it's really my favorite time of the podcast, Aaron. It's time to give some stuff away. What are we looking at this week?
1: Hey, we have a lucky winner who is from Tennessee, and that is uh, Daniel. Um, and what he actually gets is a full line of Bass Edge gear, so congratulations, Daniel.
0: Uh, now, now what does that
1: entail? That entails a uh, hats and, uh, and a shirt.
0: Really? Now, did he get one of the blaze orange
1: shirts? Uh, no, Dan. That's reserved for you.
0: Okay, a hockey plate? Next year, I'm going to wear place. a bow hunt, man. <laughs> keep a hunt. You know, I'm uh, going to be hunting in right? two weeks. Come uh, on, yeah. that's pretty neat. And then we got a listener email question.
1: We do from uh, Jason in Arizona. The question is: Thanks for the fantastic program. I am currently learning. I didn't tell him to put that in there, by the way. <laughs> I am currently learning to fish a drop shot. Can you tell me how to tie the hook so that my line stands on the bait, rather stands straight out and allows for the weight to hang below? Uh, thanks, and keep up the great work.
0: That's a great question. You know, you and I have talked about that on the radio show quite a bit, and you are pretty good at that drop shot stuff. Well, you know,
1: the, the drop
0: shotting is,
1: it, it can actually be fished two different ways, and but it's still the same when you rig that terminal tackle, it, it's still ultimately rigged the same way. And what I mean by the two different ways to present that, one is traditionally fishing in a, in a vertical manner to where you use your electronics to locate uh, suspended or schooling bass, um, whether they be suspended over treetops or potentially on directly on the bottom, maybe off of a long tapering point or something like that. The other way is to actually make a cast, and you would fish it like you would a Carolina rig, but the, the reason why that the drop shot is so effective is because the weight actually hangs below um, your bait, and normally that's anywhere from 6 to 18 inches, depending on you know what, uh, if you're fishing it and casting it. If you're wanting that bait to stay maybe above the grass or something like that, you know you'll adjust that leader but he brings up a very good point in that uh there's a there's a little bit of a trick and it's it's sometimes hard to remember but how to get that hook tied to your line so that the, as you extend that weight below it that that bait or that hook is going to be um facing the open side up and you know the, the best way to do it is, is tie a polymer knot but what i always do is i will insert the line through If you would think of holding the hook uh, in the upside-down position to where, in other words, the shank of the hook is facing up uh, and the point of the hook is facing down, you run that line through the eye of the hook with the the hook facing down. You bring it back up, you tie your polymer knot, and then whenever you you loop that knot, that will actually cause that hook to face right-side up to where when a fish comes up and bites it, it's going to hook him in the top of the mouth now the other thing is that i want to bring up on that drop shot is not just on how to tie the knot to get the hooks to stand straight out but it's also the use of a swivel you know when using a spinning reel uh, and especially in drop shot when you're fishing vertically you tend to get a lot of line twist because Uh you're fishing it you know straight up and straight down so if you will take just a, a small swivel and go about six to eight inches above your hook and tie that swivel that greatly, greatly reduces line twists from getting those loops in your spinning reel. So, uh, great question, really, from uh, from Jason
0: in Arizona. Yeah, that's exciting. Congratulations to Daniel and Jason both, and hey folks, don't forget to send in a question or comment, and you will be in the weekly drawing. Simply send an email to podcast at bassedge.com with your name and address in the body of the email, and uh, you'll be in the, the running. And you know what? I can't believe it. We need to take our final break. This goes by way too quick, and We've got something really neat coming up, Aaron. Why don't you tell them about that? You
1: know, we have Troy Heckerman with the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association, and this is an organization. I don't care if you know if, if you're interested in competition or just recreational. Bottom line is, you know, it's all fishing as a competition because it's always against the fish. But uh, I can't wait to
0: to listen to Sam. There you go, folks. We'll be right back with Troy and more stuff right here on the Edge. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard.
2: It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere.
0: If you
1: own a boat, you need one of these.
0: MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps.
2: Kit started under $140. And best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard.
0: Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard.
2: Okay,
1: we are back on the edge, and our next guest joining us is Troy Heckman from the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association. Troy, thanks so much for being part of the edge. Not a problem,
3: Aaron. Uh, great to be here uh, with you and, and the edge. You know, Troy, i got to
1: tell you, one of myself, I'm, I'm a little, uh, I don't know if you want to say envious or jealous, but uh, quite honestly, had this organization been around and... and uh, Functional when when I was in college, I'm not too sure that uh, that I
3: would have ever gotten out of college. I think I think I'd be right there in the boat with you, with you, Aaron. I uh, appreciate those kind words. Uh, collegiate Bath Anglers Association is, is unique. We are the governing body of Collegiate bath Angling, and uh, with that said, uh, basically in a nutshell, what we do are is uh, our goal is to standardize and unify the sport nationally
1: towards uh, varsity recognition uh, with institutions. So in a you know, kind of touching on that first, I mean, essentially what you're going to do is you're going to take uh, competitive bass fishing at the collegiate level to an NCAA or a varsity-recognized sport?
3: Well, eventually that would be good, uh, you know, working with the NCAA or on a, um, you know, another national level would be the NAIA, but, you know, right now we'd like to start out as, uh, you know,
1: mean, you know, with some of the just in your your short period of time, because you've only been out just basically in in existence for just a few years, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, just since uh, fall of uh, 2004 when we were incorporated, and we're in the process of seeking our uh, non-profit status, and we're excited about uh, hearing hearing back from that here here shortly.
1: So before we get into you know the specifics of CBAA, you know, how in the world did you come up? The idea to start a collegiate bass anglers association? (laughs) Well, it
3: all started with my brother and I were at college. Most institutions, any student organization needs
1: Uh, through my through my dad and growing up, you know, fishing farm ponds and small streams and stuff like that, um, you know. But how does let, let's say students whom whom uh, maybe resided at a, any campus, you know, is there where do they need to go to see if this even exists, you know, on their campus?
3: No, usually sure, uh, that, that's a good question, and uh, the 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 place to start is typically with uh, student affairs or student services or one of the, uh, um, you know, whatever office on your campus that deals with uh, student activities. And it's usually, there's a lot of information on websites. Usually just go to institutions website and put in student organizations and uh, you'll find out pretty soon as if it's going to fall underneath, uh, you know, like a special interest group club, which would be usually
1: obviously you're doing tournaments, um, explain that process, but also, you know, some of the other initiatives that you're involved in. Oh,
3: yeah, of, of course, uh, you know, d- tournaments is our way, uh, uh, we do six to seven tournaments a year for 2000-2008 schedule, and they're going to be pretty much uh, reg- regionally based. Uh, so I decided to the the tournaments, and they're great because it's an opportunity for the student-athlete to, you know, showcase their skills and that, and thus uh, be able to show off some of the partnering organizations that's associated. to showcase
1: Or so here, what about as far as, you know, do the students have to have a boat to be able to participate in this? Uh- Troy, i got to tell you, I mean, it's it's so exciting, and, and I just want you to know that uh, everyone here at Bass Edge certainly appreciates the efforts of the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association. I think it's definitely, we're going to, to do our best to see to it that it has a, a long future because I really believe that that is the future of our sport. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're out of time, but how can individuals who are interested in p- to potentially getting involved with the CBA from you know, as a student, or you know, maybe as a volunteer, or as a sponsor, or you know, just finding out more information about Collegiate Bass Anglers Association.
3: Hey, good question. Uh, probably the easiest way would be uh, via email, and my our email address is uh, just easy. It says, it's Troy T R O Y at org. or you can visit us at our, our website. We have a direct, link, uh, direct uh, contact link to us, and our website would be
1: www.collegiatebass.org. Well, I mean, uh, definitely I encourage everyone to check that out because this is a fantastic organization. Troy, I can promise you one thing. This will not be the last time uh, that we have heard from yourself or your organization. Just not a problem, thank you uh, so much for being part of the EDGE. Not a problem, Aaron. Uh, pr- appreciate it. No, best best
0: wishes and uh, great success for Bass Edge. Thanks so much. Well, I don't know how you feel about it. I know that you, were, you really like the idea of having this thing in college, but... I would have a hard time concentrating on my classes if I had something like that to go to every day.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, no, no doubt. But the, you know, that's that's the other thing that they're very strict on is you know you have to you have to be able to demonstrate uh, you know the ability to keep up your grade point average. And and what the CBAA is is really doing is it's not just about you know winning bass tournaments. It's really trying to uh, it's it's the all around angler, uh, making sure that they're applying themselves not only in the fishing part of it. Uh, but also, in their studies, and you know i got to tell you this will be when I look out three to five years from now um, this is really the this is the future of our sport, and it 's going to be very, very exciting uh, to see what comes out of that.
0: Well, what a neat deal because you know you 're going to school anyway, and you know I get so many questions every year. How did you get to do what you 're doing and if you 're in college and you 're going and you have the academic stuff right there, you can learn all about marketing, branding everything that you're going to need to know to get out into the professional ranks because every professional out there has to know marketing because me, I mean, Aaron, it's all marketing.
1: Well, you hit the nail on the head, Dan. I mean, really, if you ask any competitive angler or competitive outdoorsman, you know, what it takes to be, you know, successful in this business, uh, it's 90% marketing. I mean, yep. once you reach a fundamental skill level, don't get me wrong. I mean, you still have to be able to go out there and compete and and be successful and consistent, But bottom line, when it comes to actually making a living in this business and being an all-around professional, um, you know, it doesn't just deal with the skill at hand. You have to be able to attract sponsors and be well-spoken and and really fit into their
0: culture. Yeah, you have to be a model for that company. Yes. That's just the way it is. And the hunting or the fishing is the least part of it. That's right. That's right. It's kind of crazy. Well, that was really cool. And. Once again, I can't believe we're out of time. But uh, next week we're going to be talking with Kurt Dove, who I know you know real well.
1: Oh, Kurt, he's you know he was with us last year. Um, he's really the tidal water expert. He's he's out of Virginia. Um, does just ex- extremely well and uh, just a, a class guy. Had had the opportunity to spend uh, quite a bit of time with him up on the Potomac. So um, looking forward to that interview. And he's going to be visiting with Steve Brigman. No, actually, uh, Steve Brigman will also be, he's going to be part of the vendor segment. Um, Oh, okay, great. Steve is uh, is our publishing editor. Uh, He's going to talk a little bit about, you know, submitting articles for aspiring anglers out there that want to get some press coverage, but then also give us kind of an update, you know, and a reply from what he saw out at ICAST in Las Vegas.
0: You know, you guys got so much stuff going on. I can't keep you guys straight <laughs> anymore. You got too much information coming in on this
2: stuff. Well,
1: you know, and that's what we try to do. I mean, yes, it is. it's not Everything is not going to apply to everybody. But what we hope is that, um, you know, you can
0: always find something of use on the edge. So. Well, there you go. Hey, and don't forget, we'll be giving away some uh, great stuff next week. In the meantime, be sure to visit us at www.fastedge.com. You can see Aaron's pretty picture right there. So for uh, Mr. Martin, this is Outdoors Dan Young. And I want to thank you for listening to this week's Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge, has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Locker Bar Boat Security Systems, and MegaWare Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com.